0: Natural seasons uh, depending on where you live (laughs) you have seasons that are defined (laughs) and they may or may not affect you I guess depending on where you live and how you work but there's that there's things that that just give shape to our lives there's things that put rhythm to us if you're a student your your life is shaped by this or you're a parent of a student your life your life is shaped by the calendar of the school year Um, there's all kind of different things that affect the rhythm of our lives And all of these things, to some some greater or lesser degrees, uh, they affect not just the the shape of our or the shape of our year or our week. They shape actually like our character. There's this fascinating connectedness and interdependence between the things that we do and and who we are, our character. And and that's the thing. These these rhythms can sh- reach far deeper than just the way we plan our week, the way our, our year kind of pans out, but they can shape our character. And so the Anglican tradition, we try and take this truth seriously, and so we embrace the church calendar, we embrace the Christian year, because it helps us to dive into the life of Christ and, and to be shaped by a rhythm that immerses us in the life of Christ and in the, the mission of God. That, that is the story that we need to be shaped by. That is the story that needs to shape our living and our thinking and our being in this world. So from Pentecost... From Advent to Pentecost, rather. Uh, we walk through the life of Christ. We anticipate Christ uh, coming. We, we walk in his ministry. We look at his passion. We, we spend a lot of time looking at his passion through Holy Week. We, we enter into that really hard and really deep, and then for 50 days we celebrate the resurrection, and we stop and we celebrate his ascension, and we recognize that it, that it occurs and that he gives the Holy Spirit to the church at Pentecost. And in that, uh, that walk through the life of Christ, we're not just getting a, a yearly history lesson. What we're doing is we're allowing this rhythm and this journey, which is context. It's seated in the, the context of God's mission. We're allowing it to shape the way that we view the world, the way that we view ourselves, and how we are to participate in it. Uh, God's mission is one of world renewal. It's, it's to redeem all things, the whole of creation. And we're not just passerbyers in it. We're not spectators for this. We are called to be participants in this. This is a mission that you and I are called to participate in. So we saw at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down, and it's like God handing off the baton to his church and saying, now you, have you seen Christ participate in this mission? It's your turn. You go and live this. Live out the resurrection. Live in a way that points to this new life. Now, after Pentecost, the church calendar season changes, the rhythm changes. No longer, this is a season we call ordinary times. Rather than specifically focusing on a time in Christ's life, it opens up. This is an extended season to walk in Christ's light and to grow in Christ's life and to embody Christ's love. This is a season in which through we explore and exhibit what it means to be Christ's ambassadors in this world. People who strive to look like Christ in our thoughts and in our words and in our deeds. It's a time that we recognize that Christ's work and God's mission is to be continued in and through us. And so we've got to keep looking at Christ because he's the one that we look to. We look to him to see how he participated in God, how he participated in this mission. We've got to look to him so we can stay attuned to this mission and how he participated in it. Because looking at him shows us how we can participate in it. And so this morning's gospel passage does this for it. It opens up two ways that Jesus participated in his father's mission. And as his disciples, we are to be the ones who are watching him and looking at it and learning what he's doing and how we can then participate in it. So the question that we have to ask the scripture this morning is, what do we see? Jesus is participating in God's mission. What do we see? Well, we see Jesus entering into this town, a town called Nan, where he and his disciples encounter a funeral procession. So the atmosphere already is not a happy one, right? I mean funerals generally don't aren't celebratory kind of atmospheres. It's mournful, it's sad. Death has reached into this community and it's swallowed alive. It's called heart it's caused heartache and it's left devastating social consequences in its wake. But we see Jesus inserting himself into this painful and broken situation. But things are ratcheted up in the text when we see uh, it's teased out, this brokenness is teased out as we are introduced to the person who's hit hardest by this tragedy, the mother. Look in verse 12. So we're in the Gospel, Luke 7, 11, uh, 11 through 17. But in verse 12, we're introduced to her. It says, As Jesus drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now that statement, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, is a dense phrase. Gregory of Nicaea described this statement, Luke's summary of this mom, as being the sum of misery in a few words. This poor woman has lost everything, her husband and now her only son. His death leaves her without any kind of real societal protection. The family was the safety net in this culture, and she has no family. There's a, there's a large crowd of people around her, but in their culture, they, uh, they had professional mourners who would come alongside and just weep loudly, giving you the opportunity to weep loudly without standing out by yourself. <laughs> in some ways, it's a gracious thing, but in some ways, this crowd that's surrounding her really offers her not very much. The Bible talks about widows and orphans as being of some of the, the most helpless people among us. Some of the most hopeless and helpless people among us. And so this woman's situation is dire. It's, it's not just some static thing. It's, it's very unfortunate. And Jesus comes in and he meets her in the midst of this despair. And he has compassion on her. That's what we read in verse 13. And that's the first way we see Christ participating in God's mission. is He comes with compassion. Verse 13 says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Now, it says that God had compass- or Christ had compassion on her, but then he starts doing things which, if we didn't know Jesus was the Son of God, if we were just one of the witnesses there, we would think, wow, he's being really offensive. <laughs> this woman has just lost her only son. She's a widow. She recognizes the dire so- uh, social consequences that-, that she's in, and he says, don't weep. Don't cry. You know, <laughs> that's a very uncompassionate, not compassionate thing to do, Uh, unless you're Jesus, the Son of God, unless you're the one who's been making his way through the Gospel of Luke, implementing the mission of God at every turn, participating in it, bringing the kingdom to bear page after page, confronting brokenness. We've seen Jesus, or if you've been looking at the Gospel of Luke, or if you've read it before, you've seen Jesus... In the power of Almighty God, lifting up the lowly, cleansing lepers, healing people from various diseases and sicknesses and infirmities, we've seen just Jesus moved with compassion at people's brokenness. He's come into those situations, and he's brought life. He's come in and he's brought peace. We've seen Jesus moved uh, to stand against the oppressive structures that are at odds with his father's kingdom. We've seen this. And here we see Jesus, again, moved with compassion upon this woman, and he comes to her aid. He says, do not weep. And like I said, he continues doing things that appear to the onlooker that are just, that totally lack compassion. <laughs> Verse 14, he comes up, to the, uh, comes up and he touched the bear. That's the plank that the guy is being, her son is being carried on. And the bear is stood still. And then he says to the young man, he says, well, he says, young man, I say to you, arise, get up. So I mean, like, again, think about if you're just one of these people in this crowd and you're witnessing this, these action, Jesus telling this widowed, grieving mother not to weep, halting this funeral procession, and now telling a dead man to get up. I mean, those things are incredib- incredibly offensive, and they should give us pause, right? I mean, if we're one of those people, we're like, what does this guy think he's doing? But things are still shaken up again when Jesus touches this plank that the guy is being carried on, because that in their society, is a, an action that would make you ritually unclean. So, Which is a very dangerous and bold thing to do if you're a religious teacher and you're walking around doing these things, right? You're not supposed to touch things because that makes you unclean and less credible as a, as a legitimate teacher and person who's supposed to be doing right. <laughs> but Jesus does this. And we've seen it. He's done this kind of thing before. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus extends his hand and he he touches a leper in order to heal this guy. So Jesus, in compassion, is moved and he stops this funeral procession. He touches this thing the guy is being carried on. And the significance of these actions is to illustrate that showing compassion will often lead us into the dregs of another person's despair. Jesus doesn't just watch the funeral procession walk by with sad feelings and just kind of sympathy or empathy towards this lady. He enters into her situation. He meets with her. He speaks to her. He has compassion on her. He enters into this procession, and he gives himself by foregoing his ritual cleanliness in order to intervene. Now, I'm saying that we're looking at Jesus and the way that he participated in the kingdom of God, or God's mission as an example for us, right? his disciples, they're, they're bystanders, they're passive in this passage. They're the ones looking at Jesus trying to learn how they're supposed to implement and participate in this kingdom uh, agenda. So, what I'm not saying here, though, is that we're supposed to go out, that in order for us to show compassion, we got to go out and stop funerals that are in progress. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Though Jesus stopped this funeral and did raise other people from the dead, he didn't stop every funeral. What I am saying, though, is for us to be faithful participants in the mission of God, it will require us to extend compassion to the needs and the pains around us that exist beyond our circle of friends and beyond our family. I mean, think about what Jesus is doing. He's entering into a town called Nan. Now, this town is not specifically significant to the the gospel movement. It's not particularly significant to Jesus' life. It's not where he was born. It's not where the temple is. It's not where he's done a lot of teaching. It's not nothing like that. It's not his hometown. It's not where he went to summer camp as a kid. He doesn't have any kind of sentimental things tying him to this place. He just enters into a town that he's preaching in. But he enters into this town with his eyes opened. And he's open to opportunities to participate in God's mission. And what does he see? He sees a woman in need. And God moves him to intervene and to act. He sees this lady and he's compelled. Now, truth be told, there is more brokenness and pain in the world than we as individuals or even we as a church are able to adequately deal with, right? We don't have the bandwidth to, to meet every need and meet every brokenness that we are aware of. But we are to be like Jesus. We are to have eyes that are opened to the others around us. We are to have a heart that is soft enough to be moved with compassion at the brokenness that we encounter. So I'm saying that we as a church, we've got to have eyes to see. We've got to look. Gotta look. And we have to feel. The word compassion here means that. It means to, to be moved emotionally, not, not just, oh, it's the right thing to do, but it really means to have an emotive effect to this. We've got to feel. We've got to have compassion. Opportunities for compassion are going to come in all shapes and sizes. And like I said, there's going to be too much for us to actually do, but we've got to get busy doing something. And sometimes they're going to come in the form of, uh, of, of just grieving with somebody who's lost somebody. Sometimes it's going to come in the form of celebrating with somebody that's something that's really significant in their life, and maybe it's not so much significant in ours. But we've got to celebrate with them and help them to enjoy that and press into that. Sometimes it's going to come in the practical and tangible way of meeting a financial need or bringing a meal to somebody, something like that. I think other times, and perhaps most of the time, it'll come in the form of a relationship and just sitting with somebody, listening to them, being a present, present presence in somebody's life. <laughs> As we look at the story, this story in Jesus' life, we see him acting with incredible passion. And he's moving into the very depths of this lady's experience. And we are called to do likewise. We're not called to, to just stand to the side. We need to see. We need to look and live with compassion. So that's the first thing. We participate by showing compassion. A second way in which we particip- Jesus participates in the mission of God is through life-giving actions. And this one's kind of tricky, okay? Jesus actually brings somebody back to life. <laughs> he does this, right? He tells the guy to get up in verse 14. and in verse 15, it says, And the dead man listened to him. <laughs> he sat up and began to speak. Uh, and then Jesus gave him back to his mother. So this is what Jesus does: his life-giving action as he brings a dead man back to life actually gives him life again. And then he gives this guy who's brought back to life back to his mother, which is exactly which is Jesus bringing this woman back to life, giving her new life. Now the tricky part is this: uh, that this is a miracle in which Jesus can participate in, which is really difficult for us. I don't know how many of us are going to be able to go and say hey, to a dead man, you should get up, and he actually get up. But Jesus is doing far more here than what we are supposed to do, and, and just speaking to how we participate in, his, in this, uh, the mission of God. He's demonstrating that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophetic hope, that in him the messianic age has dawned. He's doing something more than what is expected of us and how we participate in this mission He speaks to this man, and he listens. (laughs) Death is reversed. Death's power is shown to be inadequate and insufficient in the light of Christ's power. And the people witnessing this miracle are frightened. (laughs) They're terrified to the core. Now, try and put yourself in, in one of their positions, right? Even if you're like the coffin bearer. Can you imagine this guy stopping you? And you're thinking, this guy is so rude. He's stopping this poor lady. And then he says, dead man, you need to get up. And the guy actually does. I mean, that is the kind of stuff that makes people faint and sends people running. <laughs> it doesn't say exactly what happened. You know, did they, were they so afraid that they dropped the guy? That's kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> That's what I would have done. I would have <laughs> Fear sees them all. That's what it says in verse 16. Fear sees them. Regardless of their specific response, they're unsure of what to do with Jesus, but they don't make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is some kind of magician who's traveling from city to city doing crazy things. They realize that Jesus is something special, and that in Jesus and in this miracle, they experience God. In verse 16, it says, "'Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, "'A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people.'" So, this, Old Testament, this passage echoes the Old Testament passage that Aaron read, right? There's this widow with an only child, and the child dies. And he's brought back to life and given back to, to his mother. Now, that was Elijah. Elijah was one of uh, Israel's great prophets. And here, Jesus is doing something. And everybody witnessing this, who's steeped in Jewish kind of life, which is going to be these people in this town, they're looking at this and seeing echoes of this first king's passage of Elijah and then what, what is their response about Jesus well Jesus has got to be a great prophet because he's able to do something that the prophet did but he does something more than the prophet did because the prophet had to stretch himself out over this child and pray three times Lord give life to this kid Jesus just says to the guy wake up get up arise and he does so in this miracle Jesus is demonstrating that he is greater than the prophets. Jesus only speaks to this man and he responds. So, this miracle is a statement about who Christ is, but the people are still unsure of what to do with Jesus. Uh, and so, they, need, they know at least that he's a great prophet, but they also recognize, too, that God's presence has been among them. The phrase that God has visited his people is a common phrase throughout the Old Testament. It, it, it's usually attached to events like, like the Exodus. Or in the times of the judges, whenever uh, God would raise up a deliverer who would defend them and lead them out of their oppression from their enemies. It's a statement that realizes that salvation is occurring. That they're really meeting God's presence. That God is drawing near to them to rescue and to save. So they recognize something special about this moment. When, When Jesus brings life through his actions in the town of Nan, the people recognize that god has been among them bringing salvation so this is a genuine miracle jesus is also declaring who he is but it's also a foreshadowing of of jesus ultimate power over death because we know that eventually jesus is going to go to the cross he's going to be slain he's going to be murdered and he's going to be buried but on the third day he's going to rise from the dead showing that he has victory over the grave and over death, and Jesus himself would walk out of a tomb. But what I'm saying, so all those things are important and good for us to to think about and know, but my whole premise this morning is saying that this passage is showing us how we can participate in God's mission by looking at Christ and seeing what he does. Christ does life-giving actions. Probably... What Christ does in this passage is beyond the capacity of what we're going to be able to pull off in our lifetime. (laughs) Uh, But as people who have placed our faith in Christ and our trust in him, we are new creations. We are made new. Which means that our very life is an example of his life and is a gift to the world. So in our living well, we're going to be able to do actions, whether it's relating to one another, whether it's the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, all of those different kinds of tangible things. That, um, those can be life-giving moments. As an individual kind of basis, sometimes it's life-giving for you to say, I'm not going to watch TV this, you know, this week or this time. I'm not going to watch TV for a while. You know, we, we go through seasons where we, we say, for me to have life, I've got to do this. I've got to read Scripture. I need to not do this. I need to do that. You can fill in the blanks there. And when it comes to God's mission, there are definitely things that we've got to do, and that's be a witness and be a testimony to Him. Now, I'm going to purposely leave life-giving actions kind of vague for us this morning because I think it, it fleshes out in so many different ways as, as we are walking with Christ but I want to tie it into um, us living as new creations, us living out the resurrection in our lives. And we want to use Paul as an example. Right? Paul does this for us. In Galatians chapter 13, or chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, we were introduced to, to his way of life before coming to Christ, before being made new. And it said, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. So so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So here's a picture of Paul and his life of prior to him being changed by Christ, being made new. He's a violent persecutor of the church. He's a man who's zealous for his, uh, his tradition. He's depicted in the book of Acts um, as a guy who's... Well... He's depicted in the book of Acts at Stephen's murder as a guy who is cold, who is unfeeling. He's a guy who gives full approval of this brutality towards Christians. That's the kind of person he was. Um, But God visits Paul, and he makes him new. His life is utterly changed by it. He goes on from being this violent persecutor of the church to proclaiming salvation in the name of Jesus' name, In the name of Jesus. And the effect is that such, when people see him, when they hear of his new life, they can't help but say, God has been among us. God has done something in this guy. And it causes them to praise. Notice Galatians chapter 1, verse 22 through 24. He said, While I was still unknown in person to the churches in Judea that are in Christ, they they were only hearing that it was said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And what happened? What was the response? They glorified God because of me. So what I'm saying is, as you and I live in step with the Holy Spirit, as we live in step with Jesus' life, with his character and with his actions, we're going to bring new life to our relationships and to the places that we inhabit, the situations. We have the opportunities to do that, right? it's as we are living in step with the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago, Aubrey talked about being a witness and what it meant. And he said, essentially, there are three components to it. That there was a, we had to use words to be witness. This was a verbal testimony to Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, and the salvation that we can, we can experience through him. <laughs> but then there was also deeds, that our deeds were important. These are our actions. Our lives have to be aligned with his standard of living. Okay, this is Jesus who is king Right? Part of what our, our lives are supposed to be exemplifying is that we are submitting to his lordship and to his kingship. And The third aspect was our community life together. That in this community, the way that we forgive one another, the way that we hold Christ um, as so important, that we shape our lives around his, his story and around worshiping him, those are the things They're going to reflect to the world and cause the world to say something is about this. It gives plausibility, as what Aubrey said, to the claim that Jesus is Lord. Not that he is just our Lord, that what we're doing is in some way disconnected from the outside world and from history. But he is the Lord. That he is the Lord of this creation and of all of history, and that one day Jesus Christ will come back. That's one of the reasons we sang the song, Lo, he comes with clouds descending, because we declare he is coming. And just like Psalm 96 ended with this come quickly passage, we ended that song with, oh, come quickly. We want him to establish his reign on this earth. And when, we, when you and I, when we are participating in the mission of God, when we are Aligning our life to Christ and allowing our lives to bring life to other people and to other situations, people are going to respond to that. They're going to see God's hand. They will say God has visited us, and He will be glorified. This is where you and I participate in the mission of God. In fact, this whole idea of um, compassion. New life happening, and then people praising God is really the common thread throughout all of our scriptures this morning. In Aaron's passage in First Kings, the woman receives her son back. Right. So, well, first she accuses him. What is what you've come, and God has brought this against me, and and He's taken my son. And in compassion. He prays for this child to be returned to his mother, and he prays for, for life to come back, and life has come back. He gives him back, and, uh, and what's her response? Her response is, in truth, I know that your words are truth, that you really are from God. And, and obviously, in, in uh, the gospel passage, the people respond. They're, they're crazy afraid. They don't know exactly what just happened, but they know that God has visited them, and they respond by glorifying God. In the passage in Galatians, Paul's life is a testimony to this. People aren't sure, they haven't seen him, they've only heard that the guy who's been actively trying to kill us is now actively preaching this gospel, and they just have to respond in praise. The psalm, Psalm 96, verse 2 through 4, says, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So you and I are to participate in the mission of God through life-giving actions, because it's through these life-giving actions, through us living well as new creations, through us giving ourselves on behalf of others, through our vocal witness of the salvation of God, through our deeds that declare his lordship and that demonstrate his compassion. It's through our vibrant life together as worshiping community that God forgives, well, let me say that differently. The witness that we as a, a, a vibrant worshiping community give is that we forgive one another when the world would, would, would hold, you know, would grind it. What, how's the phrase? Axe to grind? They, they, would, they would hold on to this grudge and uh, we would forgive or we're supposed to forgive. <laughs> we're supposed to be a community that reflects his lordship and his ways, his kingdom values. And when we are doing these things, when we are attuned and moved to compassion, when we see people and their problems and their pains, when we look beyond the walls of our own needs to the needs and the realities of those around us, it's living well through these life-giving actions. Others are going to see, they'll see God, and they'll say, He has visited us. They will glorify Him because He has visited them through you and through me. So God's mission of world renewal is one of reconciliation, of salvation, of continuing, and it's continuing uh, in Christ through his work, but also through us as we are Christ's ambassadors and his regents here in this world in this time. For you and I to participate well in this mission, we must be people who see Christ participating in this mission. We've got to look at Scripture. We've got to look at the Gospels and say, Jesus, what are you doing? What can I do? And we've got to allow him to teach us. I mentioned earlier that we are kind of in the position of his disciples in this passage. Um, And this is what being a disciple means. We're people who are trying to learn. His disciples were passive participants in this. (laughs) They didn't really have a a role to play in this gospel text. Other times we see them actually doing things. But other times we see them, just like in this one, where they're just watching Jesus but they're learning from Jesus. They spend three years watching Jesus and learning from him how they are to interact with the world. And this is what we've got to do. We have to watch and learn from our master, from our savior. And we must grow in ways to extend compassion. We must grow in ways that we extend compassion to others. And we must grow in to what it means to live as resurrected people. Well, not resurrected people, as people who've been given new life, people who are hoping for a resurrection. And, and that hope is not vain and it's not loss, it's real. And the way that you and I live that hope is going to communicate a lot to people and effectively put us in participating in the mission of God. So let's pray.